Hello and welcome to How to Read the Bible on the One Prez Pod. Over these next few weeks, my good friend Sarah Putman and I will be talking about reading the Bible as literature. We'll be looking at different literary genres, we'll be talking about translation, and we'll be giving you a glimpse into the history of Scripture and helping you to become a better reader. Join us. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of How to Read the Bible. It's Phil Blackburn. And Sarah Putman. We are back with you after our conversation about truth and fact last week, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Was very exciting. Yeah, uh, and we're we're gonna go like 180 degrees. I feel like from that conversation. I mean, sure. I'll give you some facts, though. <laughs> I'll take some facts. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna talk about poetry today. Mm-hmm. So, if you like poetry, this is the podcast for you, or the edition for you. If you don't like poetry, give us a minute to try to convince you of why you should like poetry and why you should care about how to read it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to like. Um, of course, that's because I teach it. But, um, <laughs> You're not biased. But it's just so like there, there are little, little glimpses into humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's not daunting. Well, I guess it is daunting for a lot of people sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Modern poetry, I think they've made it pretty accessible mm-hmm. for all of us. You know, we've talked a lot about um, literacy and how, you know, Way back in the old days, there weren't a whole lot of literate folks out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so along with that, poetry has evolved, and it's become a very accessible art form that mm-hmm. hopefully you'll appreciate if you don't already. I, I think people will. I hope they will. I Just for full disclosure, I mean, I read a lot, and I read a book called How to Read Poetry. Yeah. Like, to try to help me. because So full disclosure, like, if you've struggled to read poetry, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. It is It is different than reading prose. Yes. And and so you shouldn't be daunted by it. There, I learned some techniques and it to help me read poetry better. Um, I like poets who are more literal for that reason because mm-hmm. it's more accessible to me. But then I realize, you know, sometimes you miss out on stuff if you don't let poetry be deeply symbolic and yeah. follow the the rhythm and the cadence. So that's what you're going to talk about to us well okay on that the other hand though yeah. i mean i do think i took a prosody class in college and i was it was it is daunting and mm-hmm. if you ever talk to a poet we have some wonderful ones here mm-hmm. in our community um they are the smartest people on the planet mm-hmm. and they are they know everything about grammar mm-hmm. um what word did you use prosody prosody yes. what is that word? it's the study of poetry okay yeah and there's just you know you know we'll talk a little bit about iambic pentameter mm-hmm. which is the most common you know form um that we see but i mean it's a lot Mm -hmm. and so i think sometimes if you're when you're in high school maybe and you're introduced to poetry and you're throwing all these terms are thrown at you you think oh my gosh why am i ever going to need this so i I do think there is an element of just letting the words Mm -hmm. wash over you Mm -hmm. you know like you don't have to know all of that to appreciate it Mm -hmm. um i think it can heighten that appreciation for sure um but I mean, it's also just language being used efficiently mm-hmm. and and beautifully. So, do you think that there's like a poetic thread kind of that runs through the history of writing? Do most poets? The reason I ask that would most poets would be aware of some pretty old poetry, I would assume. Oh, sure. Like yes. so, in the sense that even ancient poetry, like like Psalms, like we're going to get into at the very end. Mm-hmm still would do they still influence modern writers in 
how poetry functions, its form. In, All in that the time. Sense. Okay. And I, I kind of like this thing that poets do um, where they, they're constantly calling back to other forms. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're changing it or experimenting with it mm-hmm. because, you know, we've talked a lot about the evolution of literature and how it's a reflection of the, the, the world we live in now. Um, and so when we talk about the sonnet here in a bit, you know, that started in the 1400s with the Italian sonnet and then in the 1600s with uh, Shakespeare. Um, but, you know, as early as, you know, well, even in like, is it, gosh, I'm going to mess up now because this wasn't on my list. But I think it was uh, Seamus Haney mm-hmm. who has um, a sonnet where mm-hmm. he's kind of making fun. No, it's Billy Collins. Oh, he's so great. I love Billy Collins. But he just writes this sonnet, um, just kind of poking fun mm-hmm. at, um, not really poking fun, but also giving credit to where he's mm-hmm. come from. So I don't know. Yeah, they're constantly going back and forth. So there is a so like if so there is a running conversation in the poetic mind. Absolutely. That transcends and spans the ages. Yeah. Maybe more than in the the writer of prose. Yeah, and I think, and I'm not. A poet, so I don't know what they think mm-hmm. necessarily. But I think if you use a certain structure or a certain form, um, a poet would automatically know. Well, this is why they're using that. Mm-hmm. Like it's conveying this particular type of ah, meaning, okay. or they're trying to uh-huh. pretend like they're, mm-hmm. you know, formal or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like with the sonnet, there's usually like a question at the beginning mm-hmm. um, and an answer to that question at the end. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's just a good structure, mm-hmm. and uh, poets recognize that, and we can also. Mm-hmm. To an extent, recognize mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. as well. So, well, know. take us away. Lead us on <sighs> our journey through poetry, Sarah. I'll try. So this is very brief, but I thought, you know, if we want to talk about the purpose of poetry, the purpose of a poem, and why people even write them, we kind of need to understand the history of mm-hmm. the poem. So we'll start with where it began. And, of course, that's always a difficult question because who knows where anything really Uh, begins in terms of written documents. Um, But the Epic of Gilgamesh is sort of known to be the first written poem. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, it's an epic poem. We have a lot of stuff out of India. um, And we're talking 18th century BC. So 3,800 years ago, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then that takes us to the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, which we've, we've touched on a little bit. Um, and whenever we looked at that little intro to the Odyssey, there, you know, we talked about this one matches the Greek perfectly or whatever because it tried to keep um, what they call the dactylic hexameter, mm-hmm. which is six feet in a line with a certain number of syllables, stressed and unstressed. So they're, you know, as they're translating that, they're trying to keep those same mm-hmm. syllables. So mm-hmm. I mean, pretty difficult. Just wild. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that it's like, mm-hmm. how could you do that for ten thousand lines? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Um, and then in the source that I was looking at a few days ago, it jumped right into the sonnets, but I did want to point out Chaucer because he's pretty fascinating. Um, and of course, his Canterbury Tales are one of his most popular works. That was 1392. But what we have here is, you know, the oral tradition or in the oral tradition, even in Chaucer, people would tell these stories, you know, in pubs. Is that what they yeah, called them sure. back then? Um, while they're traveling on the road or whatever. Um, and they needed to be easily memorized, mm-hmm. right? And so that's one of the reasons the poetic form kind of took place. They were sing-songy. They mm-hmm. could sing them, and they could remember them over and over mm-hmm. again. You could hear it once, then go and tell mm-hmm. your friends. Um, 
So that's sort of how it started. Um, and then we move on to the sonnets. Um, and of course, Shakespeare's plays are usually written in mm -hmm. some kind of poetic form, iambic pentameter. Um, and so we have the Petrarch sonnet, Petrarchan sonnet in Italy, and the Shakespearean sonnet. I think we'll look at one of those, mostly because we've talked about Shakespeare in yeah. some of our classes. So I thought that would be fun to look at one of his sonnets. Um, but as I mentioned before, the sonnet is an interesting form. I'm most familiar, as most of you probably are, with the Shakespearean sonnet. It's the, um, I've already forgotten, 12 lines. Is that right? 14? I think it's 14. Yeah. And the first I, 12 yeah. have the, the question. Mm -hmm. And then the last couplet at the end mm -hmm. has sort of the answer to that question. So we'll think, keep that in mind when we look at Shakespeare's sonnet here in a bit. Um, and then we move into the Victorian period, which is really great. So what happens here is we have the introduction of the novel. Mm -hmm. So we're moving away from poetry and all of that really rigid, structured mm -hmm. form. And we have, of course, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein mm -hmm. was written in this time period. But we also have other really great poets, um, John Dryden um, and then Alexander Pope. But a lot of times they're using their poetry, not that they didn't in the past, but they're commenting on the politics of the world. Yeah. Um, and there we see satire kind mm -hmm. of come into play here. Um, so we sort of see a shift in the way poetry is used, and it's a bit more... It's a, it's uh, what's the word like bringing in mm -hmm. the public like they okay, can be yep, part of yep. our conversation kind of popular now. a little yeah, bit yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. they're on these pamphlets that are uh -huh. passed out all over yep. um, and yeah so it's sort of an introduction for poetry for the people mm -hmm. right and this mm -hmm. is sort of how you can stand mm -hmm. up to your yeah. queen or yeah. whoever <laughs> right <laughs> um, and then we move into the Romantic period nineteenth um, century. This is William Blake, uh, Coleridge, Wordsworth, John Keats. Um, in America, we have Emily Dickinson. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have um, oh, the Romantic period was really a fun time. Um, but this call back to nature. Yeah. So we see a lot of that in our poetry. It does become a bit more, um, well, there's a bit more free mm -hmm. in the verse. Um, so there's that. And then we have the 20th century. That's kind of where I stopped. Um, but there is a, a, a drastic change in, in what's being written with the modernist movement between the, the world wars mm -hmm. with Gertrude Stein and, of course, T.S. Eliot. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, T.S. Eliot, I've talked about him before, too. But, you know, the first line of his The Wasteland is mm -hmm. April is the cruelest month, mm -hmm. which is kind of a callback to Chaucer. Mm -hmm. um, Juan, that April with the shower sutta, where it talks about um, April being mm -hmm. a time for growth mm -hmm. so um it's certainly commentary on the world at the time but he's like you said calling back to a previous yeah time a previous poem that thread's kind of being pulled mm -hmm. through so i mean that's kind of like a big flyover yeah, of, yeah huge. of poetry <laughs> um so before we get into to scripture mm -hmm. and how this relates to the bible as a poetry advocate, Sarah, mm -hmm. if someone just listened to that and they're like, I should try something, mm -hmm. who should they try? Oh, well, I'm so glad you asked, Phil. Um, I typically start folks off with Mary Oliver mm -hmm. for a few reasons. Um, mostly because I am always moved by her poetry. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think it's very accessible. She mm -hmm. writes a lot um, about nature. Um, 
but her, you know, she doesn't use big fancy language, mm-hmm. and she does use rhyme, but it's always it's usually mm-hmm. very loose. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's easy to get to. I'm not going to say truth, mm-hmm. but get to something like meaning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and of course that can look different mm-hmm. for for everybody. So one of the things I've been doing lately, I'll just come out and say it. I teach a class before we podcast Mm -hmm. and I usually show them something that we're about to talk about Mm -hmm. just to get their feedback and just Mm -hmm. to see what they think. So we looked at this Mary Oliver poem today and I just kind of loved seeing what stood out to them. Mm -hmm. And we're talking 19, 20 year old kids Mm -hmm. that this poem, I mean, it's not old, um, but that this, you know, still Mm -hmm. spoke to them on different levels, Mm -hmm. you know? So, well, do you want to read it? Sure. I'd love to. All right. So this is wild geese. Have Mm -hmm. you heard this one? Nope. I'm ready. Hold on. Let me reset. Okay. Now (laughs) I am ready. Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clear blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. That is lovely. Isn't that good? What did they say about it, Sarah? Oh, well, they, they picked up on the re- repenting, walking mm-hmm. on your knees, mm-hmm. and sort of what that meant to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not living a life that they should. Mm-hmm. They're struggling. Um, they picked up on the feeling lonely, but there's family around. Um, they picked up on things like, of course, tell me about despair, yours, mm-hmm. and I will tell you mine. We all... Mm-hmm. Have that doesn't matter, but the world goes on. Yeah, you know, they sort of picked up on that too. Um, this was just sort of a pre-write before class started, mm-hmm. so we didn't get in, mm-hmm. you know, too deep in terms of like mm-hmm. meter and meaning yeah. and symbols and stuff. But it's always fun to just see what what lands with people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so I think that's a nice. So when when you read a lot of poetry and scripture, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. I think is don't worry so much about. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Like we, we bring, as we've discussed, all this baggage to Scripture. Yeah. Sometimes in poetry, especially the Psalms, it's best to let that go and read it like this. Mm-hmm. What moves you? What is a line in the Psalm? It's a poem. Mm-hmm. It's a song that moves you. Mm-hmm. Like when you listen to a song on the radio, uh, when you read a poem, if you do that, that you're, you're listening for those things. Mm-hmm. What moves you? Yeah. Like immediately in, in the Oliver poem, like what I heard was like, a rejection of uh, of shame, mm-hmm. right? Like this idea of like if you're crawling on your knees, like it, I mean, so being able to just kind of reflect on that idea, even if the poem's not directly about that idea, yeah, it it brings out uh, feelings in me, thoughts in me, um, that that are worth exploring mm-hmm. through that kind of poetic framing. Sure, and just to just sort of comment on things that we've talked about up to this point um you know we have imagery used Mm -hmm. here and it's the same thing that's used in prose to help connect to your reader but you have to it has to be so vivid right it Mm -hmm. has to be quick and efficient 
And so this, you know, walking on your knees a hundred miles to the desert repenting, mm-hmm. we all can conjure up what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and in class today, they even said it's kind of biblical. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I mean, sure. Yeah. There's a desert that yeah. someone's walking Repentance around is, in. Repentance is, yes. Uh, repenting. There's, mm-hmm. and then just sort of be like, we, Mm-hmm. I think of a cartoon almost, like mm-hmm. where they're looking for the oasis mm-hmm. and they're crawling. Mm-hmm. Like those images, it looks different for everybody, but it's still mm-hmm. there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's, There's some something. universality to sure. it. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I think that kind of stuff is important. That that imagery mm-hmm. um, that we pick up on helps us, I don't know, find the meaning mm-hmm. that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when you encounter this stuff in Scripture, it's supposed to be evocative. Mm-hmm. Like... It's, this is where we go back to that idea from the very first thing of, like, the Bible is a rule book. Yeah. Like, there couldn't be anything less true about a poem in, the, in Scripture mm-hmm. than saying it's a rule. Yeah. Um, so let me read something sure. that, that I brought. Uh, so this is Psalm 85, and I want to tell you what I mean. Mm-hmm. This will show you what I mean when I say nothing could be less true. So I love Psalm 85. I'm just going to read the last bit of it. Um, and, and so anyway, so here it is steadfast and love, steadfast love and faithfulness will meet righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. Mm-hmm. I find that to be quite lovely, and I've always liked that uh, image of love and faithfulness meeting and righteousness and peace kissing each other. Like, I've thought so much about this idea of righteousness and peace kissing each other, because in our world, they are conflicting oh, yeah. values, yeah. right? If Because there is injustice in the world, mm-hmm. if you want righteousness, it often leads to conflict oh, wow. through those entrenched powers. And so this idea that righteousness and peace will kiss each other and make up, that you will have righteousness at the same time that you have peace, mm-hmm. is a vision that is being cast that none of us have seen. Mm-hmm. Like, so even as long ago as this was written, yeah. it's still being held out in front of us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, that's not a rule. That's not a rule. Mm-hmm. It's a vision. It's a value. It's a belief. Yeah. It's a truth about the nature of God. Sitting down and looking at this as if it were a rule would make me so sad. Mm -hmm. Like it would break my heart if people couldn't access that language. Because it's meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. That sentence has meant a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's not what I took away from it. So thanks for that. What did you take away? Well, I don't know, really. I, I, first of all, mm-hmm. I realized there was personification, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So we're sort of giving human characteristics to mm-hmm. these ideas, mm-hmm. these values. Um, but I didn't think about the fact that they don't usually go hand in hand. I guess mm-hmm. I assumed that they are, they do, mm-hmm. but they don't, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so what would that look like if, worldwide if righteous if you didn't have to fight for it if if yeah. if peace and righteousness kissed it and kiss I mean, is that's a big deal that's yes. more than just shaking hands yes that's right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. It, it, it's just such a powerful image mm-hmm. to me the whole end of this psalm um in terms of a framing of what things like faithfulness springing up from the ground mm-hmm. um righteousness looking down from the sky 
is there context? Like, what's going on here with this psalm? I don't remember. I mean, you know, it's not a special one um, in terms of being part of a subset. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, typically people who are really serious about the psalms tend to think that they work in threes. Mm. Um, And so you read them in threes. Now, this is getting detailed, but that also depends on whether or not you believe Psalm 1 is a psalm or whether or not you believe it was the introduction to the Psalter. There is disagreement about that, Sarah. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> so don't doubt it so uh i i go with psalm one as a psalm because i love it so i'm just gonna go with it but um no it's rules mess up everything they do and and that's where it's like don't let history and context and whatnot get in the way of something pretty yeah like, I mean, and i think just the enjoy. more you understand that stuff the more you can appreciate it like it it helps with appreciation mm-hmm. um like, you know, when you take your first music appreciation appreciation class in college, you're like, oh, classical music is pretty cool, I guess. Because <laughs> you know, you've never listened to right. it before. I didn't. Yeah. Um, you just kind of, you learn to mm-hmm. appreciate the craft. Mm-hmm. and But that doesn't mean you still can't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, so I, I totally agree with that. And one of the things that I would invite people to do, and this is going to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, when you talked about um, stuff being written to be memorized. Mm -hmm. The Psalms were absolutely written to be memorized. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the point of them. It's a preliterate world. Mm -hmm. Very few people could read. Um, Very, even fewer could write. Mm -hmm. So you had to memorize it. So when you read through the Psalms, you get a lot of um, duplication. So like here, we heard that. So like righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The duplication of the theme mm-hmm. helps with memorization. And so did the, the way that they would use the Hebrew or the Greek in these types of things would help people memorize it. Yeah. I believe in the value of memorizing Psalms. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not one of those people that would, would believe that you are a bad Christian if you don't memorize scripture. If anybody has any of scripture memorized more than one verse, it is probably Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. Um, it Psalm was 16, Psalm 23. That's right. You got it. If mm-hmm. you know those two things that when, when I do funerals, I'm like, well, what scripture do you think they would have liked? Well, probably Psalm 23 and John 316. I wonder if they say that just because those are the ones they know. Yeah. I suspect that's true. Uh, anyway, but the, the value of a memorized psalm is that then that language, you carry it with you. Mm-hmm. Like those images and language, that you, you tote those around. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to look it up. So like I've memorized before, I've memorized Psalm 1, I've memorized Psalm 130. I had Psalm 85 memorized a while back, but now I do not. You might have to be ready to recite those on <sighs> I'll have Sunday. to brush up. Yeah. Uh, I think I could get through most of Psalm yeah. 1. Psalm 130 is more difficult, but... Um, I had I to memorize the, the um, Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Do you still have it? Well, most of it, but I'll brush up. We'll brush up before Sunday. So if you're coming in person, we may like try to embarrass each other by saying, why don't you recite Idols yeah. of the King, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it's valuable. Um, the image in Psalm 1 uh, that the wise are like trees planted by streams of water. Of water. water. <laughs> My gosh. By streams of and he water. Can't edit this either. That's right. I don't know how to edit, so we'll stick with water. I'll put it in the title. Say it again, though. I'm... 
Well, the wise are like trees planted by streams of water, mm -hmm. which yield their fruit in its season. Uh, their leaves do not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. Mm -hmm. Like so, when I see big trees Aww. by rivers, uh, by bodies of water, yeah. that psalm always is evoked for me. That's really cool. It, I think that makes God happy. It. I hope it makes it makes me happy. I can't testify to God's happiness, but it makes me happy. Uh, to think that and I can think of specific places in the world that I've been where that's been particularly true mm -hmm. as I've thought about the trees and the water so it, that's just an example like so because I carry that those mm -hmm. particular words with me I then see them in the world yeah and I think that's what poetry can do for us mm -hmm. um I know good poems that I like, and I am not a voracious reader of poetry, but there's some that I can think of. Um, I, there are things in those poems that I think of sometimes when I'm doing an activity or see a thing. Uh, and, and I think that works different than prose. Like, I don't think of images from novels very often. I don't, you know, walk around and see, you know, like ro words from Romans mm -hmm. very often yeah. uh, in the world. But the poetry in Scripture is so earthy, mm -hmm. um, organic maybe would be a yeah. word, uh, and because it's been part of this long thread and arc of language throughout the ages, mm -hmm. it's around. It's just around. Like mm -hmm. you can just see it. Yeah. You know. I love that. Anyway, so that's my. Uh, I, I couldn't commend the poetry and scripture more highly to people. When people ask me what they should read in the Bible, I say the Gospels and the Psalms. Mm -hmm. So this is for the Psalms. This this podcast is for. For the Psalms. Don't be afraid of them. No, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Um, and the Song of Solomon is poetry too, It is, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. okay. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, almost all of Job. Mm -hmm. um, then Proverbs feels a little clunkier. Yes. Why is that, you think? It, there's no flow to it. Yeah. Like, it's just little chunk, little chunk, little chunk. So it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a narrative structure, really. Okay. Um, I, that's my knee-jerk reaction yeah, to that. Good job, because that yeah. was I mean, quite, a, quite a question. <laughs> I don't ever think to myself, go read Proverbs. Yeah. But it, in terms of personification, wisdom as, mm -hmm. a, as a being is yeah. personified in Proverbs heavily. Yeah. Uh, and and interesting it has led to some interesting theological conversations in the 20th and 21st century. Yeah. I appreciated Tasha's uh, Stress of the Nines um, can I talk about this? Oh, yeah. On, um, I guess a couple days ago when she did the Song of Solomon about romantic love. Mm -hmm. and it was just refreshing. I don't think I've ever heard Song of Solomon being taught without being forced to think of Jesus as my lover. Yeah, it's gross, <laughs> I think. Like, that's a long tradition in the church. It goes back to the Puritans mm -hmm. um, where the Song of Solomon was seen as uh, a metaphor, an allegory for mm -hmm. Christ and the church. Yeah. And like so, I mean, when that's fine, I guess but it's not no, great okay. though. I mean, I don't love it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, when you find in scripture like um, her breasts leap leapt like two fawns, mm -hmm. that I I don't that doesn't help me. Yeah, draw that, closer to Jesus. <laughs> it kind of creeps me out a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, I'd rather it just be a, a celebration okay. of sexuality, I think which that is would what help I think it is. People. Yeah. Um, it's a, in fact, I thought about doing an entire series of Stress to the Nights on Song of Solomon, so maybe I will. Yeah, you should. Um, it, was, it was nice. It, it's, it's, yeah, and, and so it's like, it is interesting how we have to go to that type of poetry. It's love poetry. Mm -hmm. Like, you wouldn't go to Byron oh, yeah. and be like, well, this is a metaphor for England and its colonies. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. 
It's it's some a, might, but yeah, it's right. But that would ruin it. It's a yeah. it's about his lady friends, and the Song of Solomon is about two lovers singing to each other. I mean, that's what it is. And the the Jewish folks and then the Christian folks who came after them decided, you know what, we're going to leave that in there. Yeah. We're going to leave it. Good. And they left it. So I don't think they left it as a trick. Mm-hmm. I think they left it because, like, if there's no celebration of human sexuality, then you run out of humans. Right. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. so, which would be bad, I feel like. I yeah. like humans by and large, and I would like there to be more of us in the future. Sure. So celebrate it. Celebrate it. <laughs> okay, we really went <laughs> somewhere different here. Yeah. But, oh, do we already... Are we finished? We're about there. You got final thoughts for us? No, I was just going to talk about John Don's The Flea. Do it, and then they'll wrap us up. Well, just in terms of sexuality. Yeah, go ahead. Why not? Um, I don't know that. So I think it's Victorian era ish, Mm -hmm. and it was um, because I used to teach it in class, and it was about this flea that would, this guy trying to get this girl to have sex with him before they got married. Mm -hmm. And he was like, look, this flea bit you, and then it bit me. So basically, our blood's mingling around (laughs) inside of (laughs) us. We might as well go ahead and do it. And my students were just always like, what did you make us read? (laughs) You haven't thought about that? You know? Yeah. So anyway. No, that's a good. That's a good Someone spot to end. made me think of the flea. There you and go. there's the narrative arc that transcends history. There you go. All right, so we're gonna wrap up. We have one more of these uh, to go. We'll have one last podcast next week. Uh, I don't know what we'll look at. Maybe history. Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe you something what's left. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. We'll have to figure it out. So anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Sarah, thanks yeah. as always. Go buy a book this week from Bookish, right? Please, that'd be great. Yeah. We have some. Do you have some? Okay, good. Do you have some poetry? Oh, of course. Yes. All right, great. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of How to Read the Bible on the One Prez Pod. Be sure to like and review this wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.